So there are those in the world who experience reality a little bit differently from the majority of people. And they do so because of a, a genetic disorder, something that, that goes off in, in, in their genetics. And we collectively call that color blindness. Now, color blindness can present in different ways. You can see the, the graph here, normal vision, and then how it shows up in words I can't say um, in different ways. Some colors get mixed up, others are grayed out. In the rare case, it's completely gray. Uh, and it is super rare, uh, but it does happen. But one of the cool things is that in recent years, there have been the development of these glasses that allow colorblind people to see the fullness of the color spectrum, or at least a better representation of what's there. Um, and I'm thankful our production team put together a couple of videos so that you can watch people putting these glasses on for the very first time. The first one is a kid, and the second one is a dad who doesn't even, can't even see his kid's hair color. Um, and so I want you to pay attention to their faces and the sounds they make as they respond uh, to these glasses. So watch this video. Take your hand down, close your eyes. Keep them closed. There they are. Open your eyes. They work. <laughs> Buddy, can you look at the... Jason, look out at the frisbees. Look at the frisbees. Can you see them? Can you see the differences? All right, so, you know, I mean, just imagine that. And it's like, the reason I'm not crying is because I already cried this week, like watching all of them, so it's your turn. Um, but just imagine, like, you put on those glasses and you see the world in, like, full relief for the first time. And you see the beauty of the way God created everything, not just, not just functional, but just beautiful in the sky and the sunsets. And, you know, you've realized you've been mismatching socks for all these years. Uh, and then you see the colors of your kid head, and every redheaded person here is like, thank you. Like the glory of God right here, you know? Um, and, and so it's just wild to see 
the, the way that God has, has worked and is doing these things. And, and the, the spiritual connection is that in Matthew 6, as we, as we move through the Sermon on the Mount, what we, what we find out is Jesus goes, look, there's, there's another genetic disorder that's happening. There, there's something that's happening in our eyes. And there's only one set of lenses through which you're going to be able to see the fullness of what God has done and the fullness of what God wants to do, not just in your life now, but for eternity. And that's what Jesus is going to get at when he preaches and speaks through uh, beginning in verse 19. And I just wanna offer up a fair warning that Jesus is an equal opportunity offender when it comes to stepping on your toes and mine. And that is nowhere more true than when Jesus talks about money. All right? Now, I'll tell you, the last service, the offering they gave at the end was the biggest we've ever had. So I'm counting on you. To, I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. Like, not doing that. Um, but it is, there is something about it where it just, Jesus gets after us. He gets in our pockets and our purses and our wallets. I mean, he's got your, all your apps. Like, his face opens all of them, by the way. And he just looks. He sees your Amazon Prime purchases that you, even, that you forgot you even made. You know, like you just show up and you're like, oh, it's Christmas on my front porch. I wonder what it is. Like he knows it all. He gets in your banking statements, everything. And so he's going to come in. He's going to talk about money and the way it interacts with our hearts. And so I want to encourage you on the front end to think about this. Because at some point, everyone will hear that little defense attorney within. Start going, no, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay that we do this with money. It's okay that we live like this. There's nothing wrong with it. And you can completely rationalize everything that you've ever done and everything that I've ever done. So pay attention to that voice because that may well be where the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life today. Okay, so here's what Jesus says, verse 19, chapter six. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then this seems out of place, but I think this is the key. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. No one in this place will be the first one to successfully serve both God and money. And we'll talk about why that is. So in this text, three times, Jesus uh, draws a distinction between two sides of the same coin. If you'll notice, he says there are treasures on earth or in heaven. There's an eye that's healthy or bad and a master that is either God or money. And so he starts with treasures. And he, he phrases it in a negative way and a positive. And the first, the negative in verse 19 he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Several commentators I read argued that it really should say, stop storing up. Like you're already doing it, stop doing it. Because this is our MO, this is how we tend to operate. And I think it's a word for our day, especially in America, because we are an accumulation nation. Like we are a machine. We've turned storing up into a sport. And I want you all to know, we're the winners. Like, we won again. It's just what we do. All we do is win. And so I want you to listen to these numbers. As of December 2022 in America, storage units were a $38 billion industry with an annual growth rate of over 7%. 
38 billion, 7% growth rate every year. We've got north of 50,000 storage buildings with millions upon millions of individual units. And the wildest thing about it is 90% of those are at capacity, which is why there's no more green space left in Tennessee. It's all storage buildings. Like, I don't know if you've noticed that. It's that and car washes. I don't know what's up, but like, let's get those cars clean, y'all, all right? But that's it's storage, just everything. We've got stuff. Our houses are getting bigger, but we're having less kids. We all know it, and yet we still are storing stuff. And so Jesus calls out the madness of this accumulation, and he does it in a practical way. He says, why doesn't this make sense? Verse 19, earth is where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. And so all of those things that we just had to have, all of those things we convinced ourselves we, we could not live without are prone to thievery or destruction or decay. And even if that doesn't happen, what about all of those unseen forces, those unseen events like economic downturns and inflation and a bear market, a banking scandal like Credit Suisse just had? How about a global pandemic? Like all of those things, you can't plan for them and yet they affect the things that we think are gonna bring us this treasure. And so we've all experienced this uncomfortable, humble truth that there is nothing on this earth that is truly untouchable. Not one thing that's untouchable. And so Jesus' point is hard to miss. He says, if accumulation is your goal, then congratulations, you have your reward. You get your stuff and you can enjoy it until the day you die and no more. But then on the other side, he says, here's the positive in verse 20. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. And so he says, right now, you can live your life in such a way, following the way of Jesus, that you are actually building up a storehouse of treasures in heaven for eternity to enjoy. He says, it's possible, which tells us that eternity is, is now, like it has begun. This isn't just like a practice round. Like we're in it and we're storing up for it. And we wanna be clear, we're not talking about your salvation being dependent on what you spend or don't spend or how you handle your money. That's, it's not a salvation issue. That's not how the economy of God's grace works. So 1 Peter 1.4, this is all about your inheritance. God's mercy gives us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. In other words, God's doing it. God's got it. He's the most sure thing that you have in this world and for eternity. So it's not about earning or losing salvation. This is about reward and treasure once you are in the presence of God. And scripture is clear that there are different levels of reward and treasure in the presence of God, that the more you treasure Christ on this earth and in this life, the more he will be your treasure for eternity because you're living with that mindset. And so we're gonna actually come back and really finish out with some application around what it looks like to, to store up treasures because we want it to be clear and fresh. But notice that what Jesus does with money is the same thing he does with fasting, with prayer, with lust, with anger, whatever it may be. He brings it back to the core of the matter because the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And that's what he comes back to in verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Billy Graham used to say all the time, you give me five minutes with someone's checkbook and I'll tell you where their heart is. 
And I think it's, it's true. There's something about money and spending that has this innate ability to expose what we treasure and what we value most. Because ultimately, don't miss this, what we value is what makes us feel valuable. What we value most is what makes us feel valuable. And everyone has a treasure that they look to for value and to feel valuable. It's like in the Lord of the Rings. Everybody's got the ring and whoever's got the ring, it just possesses them as a possession. It turns them crazy. Everybody wants to get their hands on the precious, right? Precious, like everybody wants it. And listen, all of us have a ring. Everybody's got one. There's something that we hold on to that we consider more valuable than anything else. And so if that's God, then your value, good news, your value is wrapped up in that which is unchanging and never ending. But if it's not God, the alternatives, if it's your career, your family, your social status, your athletic achievements, your health, then what you value and are leaning on to make you valuable is completely exposed. But Jesus says for the majority of people, it's gonna be money. And this is true whether you make $30,000 a year or $300,000 a year or $3 million a year because it's not about the amount. It's not any one amount that turns it into our treasures. It's our attitude and our approach towards it. And because whatever your income level, there are two illusions that money will offer our souls. These two illusions. The first is this, significance. So we can feel significant because of what we make or what we're able to buy, the kind of car we can drive, the house we can live in, the vacations we get to take and then brag about, you know, like do our flex on social media, whatever it may be, um, and, and all of that. Like, but the, the real danger is not that it gives me significance. The real danger is if that significance starts translating into feeling superiority. I think I'm actually a little better than other people because of what I can do or where I can go or what I can buy. And that creeps up in all of us at some, in some points. And so we consider, do I feel significance? Am I feeling superiority? A second illusion is that money will offer you security. It'll offer you security. And if you really wanna name what this is, it's about feeling in control. Because you see, life has so many curveballs and variables anyways, like, but, if, but if I can store up enough that I feel somewhat secure, I can control what's happening when I can't really control the external forces, at least I've got control of this area here. And listen, to a degree, like some of that's true. Like you can be more responsive to certain situations in life if you have a bigger bank account. Not arguing with that. But we are also acutely aware of the fragility of life. And we know and have seen and have experienced that a rogue cell in your body, a drunk driver at the right time, an angry person, a bitter person with a gun, any of those things, they don't care one dime about your net worth. And so in the end, security is an illusion because even if none of those things happen, is it not true that we all are gonna end up in a pine box or a crematorium? Isn't it true? Happy Sunday. I mean, that, just, just here to bring the good news. But it's just true. Like, it's just true. It's what happens. And so I said in the next two verses, I think this is where we discover kind of the, the insight into Jesus and his brilliance as a teacher. Look at this in verse 22. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, if what gets in is darkness, then how deep is that darkness? 
And, and so we get kind of like the upfront you know, part, part of this illustration, namely that the eyes are small comparatively to the rest of our bodies, and yet we know that sight is really important for where we go and what we do and how we do it and sometimes why we do it. And so we've heard the saying that the eyes are the windows into the soul, right? Whatever you take in is going to become a part of who you are. So those aspects of this are true. If the eye is healthy, the body will be healthy. But what Jesus does is he takes a Hebrew idiom, so like a turn of phrase from his day in that culture. And it doesn't come through as well in our English text because it's going from this Hebrew mind into the Greek, into the English, and so it gets a little clumsy every now and then. But the rest of scripture actually helps us understand what's going on because this word that can also, for healthy or good, can also mean generous. It can mean generous. It comes again in James 1.5 where it says, God gives wisdom generously. Literally it says, with a good eye. And ungrudgingly. In the Old Testament, it shows up in Proverbs uh, in, in a couple different ways. But Proverbs 22, 9 says, A generous person will be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. But what it says is, One good of eye will be blessed, for he's generous. So your eye is good. Your eye is healthy if your eye is generous. The way that you see the world. And I was reading a commentary written by a Jewish man who lives in Israel to this day. And he said when kids will come to his front door and they'll knock on the door to uh, try to sell him something to raise money in a fundraiser, they will often end, he said, by saying, and sir, please remember, give with a generous eye. And I think that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying there's something about the way we see that moves us to generosity or greed or stinginess, or just looking out for ourselves. And I don't know about you, but my experience has been that kids have more generous eyes than adults, in general, especially if kids get to be generous with your money. Like that's, that's just no-brainer, right? Maybe not their own toys, but they'll be generous, and they will with their own money, too. And I was just telling somebody earlier, in between services, like, I, can't, I don't remember which daughter it was, but I was in the car, we were passed by Kroger, and there was a guy holding a sign asking for something, and we got, I didn't even think about it, just confession. But we got inside Kroger, and my daughter goes, hey, can we buy a Lunchable for him? And I was like, yeah, or steak, or like, whatever, like, what do you want to get him, baby? Like, and so it's just that reality, but man, as we grow, our eyesight worsens, not just physically, but spiritually, and we begin to suffer from what I would call spiritual nearsightedness to where we really focus mainly on what is right here in front of us in this life. Maybe even if we're really responsible 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road in retirement. And yet how often are we thinking 20,000 years down the road or a million years down the road? Like how often does that become the way that we think and filter. And so I just, I'm convinced we need these reminders that we are sojourners on this earth, on this little ball that's spinning through space. This isn't home. This isn't what we're made for. And so there's something more to this life. And so how often are we thinking about this reality? Because I think that's gonna dictate how aware we are when our, our dashboard lights on our souls are going off and God's trying to say, hey, something's wrong. Some, something's not right in us. And so as I kind of suffered through preparation and, and my wife suffered through my preparation for the sermon, um, she's like, look, don't sell our house, okay? 
I'm like, okay, deal. Um, but here, here are things just in my soul that just where lights go off and I just know something's going on. One of these would be discontentment. Discontentment. I, I think for most of us, contentment is a moving target. I mean, we are always trying to hit that target. And so it's why we keep pumping money into the carousel of consumerism. Because we think that the next thing around is gonna make us happy, the next thing around. And does it do it? No. We keep buying the stuff. Like we, we just get the next thing that we think is gonna do it and it never will, why? Because contentment is not contingent. It is not contingent on stuff. It is a condition of our souls. And the only way that we are going to be able to be content is to let God just lay us down on the table and to perform the surgery in our hearts and to carve out whatever is diseased in us. Because contentment's not contingent. I like uh, what Howard Dayton, he's the founder of Crown Ministries. He said, if you cannot be content with what you have, you will never be content with what you want. Anybody experience that? Anybody just wanna, you can come up, I'll give you the mic, just confess it. Like it's, just, it's true. It, it is where we are, and the reason is because we take ourselves wherever we go. It's a brutal truth of life. Wherever I go, oh, there I am. And so something's gotta change internally. Uh, another uh, indicator would be debt. Debt, I promised, you know, you didn't want me to say the D word, but there it is. Uh, Pastor Tony Evans, he says this, there are now three groups of people in our nation, the haves, the have-nots, and the have-not paid for what they have. <laughs> Instead of living for the future, people are now paying for the past. The Bible would say like this, the debtor is slave to the lender. In other words, we pay, and we pay heftily to be chained down, which means we are no longer flexible in the moment to be able to respond to what God's asking us to do. I know what it feels like. I don't like it. I don't like it, and I hope we're uncomfortable. And so we're grateful for things like, you know, Ramsey Solutions, like Financial Peace University. Or if you know somebody who's been in debt and gotten out of debt, like talk with them and, and work through some of the steps they've done. Um, we also, we do this in other areas of our physical and spiritual lives. I'm not sure why we don't do it financially. I've got to think about this for myself. But you can involve someone else as like a financial accountability partner. Like what if you opened up your finances to somebody else and said, hey, I want you to help hold me accountable with how I'm spending and what I'm purchasing. That's terrifying, isn't it? Like imagine doing that as a church, what would that would look like? So God's desire for you is to be financially free so that you can see those opportunities and jump in to be generous. The last one I'd say is this, disconnectedness. So I, I'm just, I'm unaware, whether intentionally or accidentally, and out of touch with the needs around me. Um, scripture's pretty plain on this. 1 John 3, 17 says, if anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer, so this is within the church, sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? I mean, that, that's a strong word. How can God's love even reside in you if you know someone within the church is in need and you don't meet it and you can't? Or Proverbs 21, 13, the one who shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will himself also call out to God and not be answered. And so like for me, I know that I'm woefully unaware at times and I'm also aware that it's usually by choice. That it's usually by choice. That I don't wanna see the needs, I don't wanna hear about the needs because it does it, it, it kind of takes away from me enjoying my stuff. And I wanna be aware of that. 
And so this seems counterintuitive. It seems contradictory because it, we say it's, it's about God being for the people and for his, their freedom. And, and yet Jesus goes on and he finishes this way. He says, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so again, it feels like, it feels contradictory. Okay, we're talking about freedom, but we're talking about being mastered by God or money. And the reason that everyone is devoted to something or someone more than anything or anyone else. Everyone has one primary devotion in this life. You can like a lot of things, but the very word itself, devoted, means to cling to, to hold on to. You will wrap your fingers around it so tightly and clench your fists so much that you are unable to open them in generosity to others and simultaneously you're unable to receive what God wants to give you. And it's that thing in our lives that we will protect and defend. It's what, when threatened, makes us get angry and shows the worst of us to others. That's the thing in our lives. And so plenty of people will say something like this. I appreciate what money does, but I'm not a slave to money. Money's not my master. And maybe that's true, but let's let's just think through some questions together. How often do you think about money? If you were just like kind of run through your day, your week, how often do you think about money? How often do you think about your possessions? And usually the nicer the things are, the more you've got to think about them. It's like the, the person, I'm gonna assume it's a guy, the guy that parks his car in four spots, a quarter mile away from the front door of whatever store. And like, it's everything in me not to go park next to it. You know, and just be like, no fear, baby. Like there's, but I've never once gone into a store and thought about my vehicle in the parking lot. And I'm like, that's just such freedom. But I've got my own stuff, y'all, okay? I got my own stuff. So how often are we thinking about our stuff, retirement accounts? How frequently do you worry about money or stress over money? How often do you dream about or fantasize about what you do with more money or their money? What about jealousy? Huh? I mean, let's just call it what it is. How often do we look at other people's stuff and just say, oh, if only... Or we look at them and think, they don't deserve that. God, I'm more righteous than they, you know? I should get something like that. And so it's gonna happen to us all, but how easily do we shake that off and move on? And so here's the compelling difference between being mastered by God and being mastered by money or anything else. This is the difference. God is the only master you can serve and be freer for it. God is the only master that you can submit your life to give yourself over to completely and wholly and actually experience more freedom because of it. So think about all of these other masters in our lives right now, career, sexual pleasure, your kid's college placement and career path, their athletic journey, a certain lifestyle that you're clamoring for. I mean, the list is endless. It goes on and on and on. And everything on that list, all of those masters will demand more and more and more of you. And you know what? They won't love you back. They won't sacrifice for you. Ultimately, they will devour you. And they'll move on. And yet your heavenly father looks at you and says, I will cross space and time to get to you, to sacrifice for you, to purchase you because you are my treasured possession. 
This is the heart of the gospel. This is the good news. This is why the apostle Paul says we even give in the first place. In 2 Corinthians 8, he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. That Jesus would willfully lower himself that you would be lifted. That he would set aside his significance and security in order to secure your salvation and your significance as a son or daughter of God. And that in so doing, he would secure you as a co-heir of the infinite riches that the heavenly father would offer his sons and daughters. And so here's what we find out about God's treasure from God's perspective. That in God's economy, treasure is that which transcends earthly existence. Treasure is that which transcends and moves beyond earthly existence. And as far as I know, and I thought about it, as far as I can tell, there's only one thing that meets that requirement, and that's people. People are the only thing on this earth that will outlive this earth. It's the only thing. And so the primary way that we store up treasures in heaven is by stewarding our resources in such a way that we are able to bless others and meet the needs of others. Because we believe that if Jesus opened his hands on the cross and said, I'm here to serve and to save, then we will open our hands before others and say, I'm here to serve. Only Jesus can save, but I'm here to serve. And so from scripture, we get a couple of guidelines of how to do this as disciples. I mean, there, there's not a lot of have-tos, like and this is exactly what you have to do, and it's gotta be this percent. It's, got, it's not like that, it's guidelines. And there's a couple of them that are for sure. One, God says, if his people give cheerfully and generously to your local church, whether that church is GFC or if it's somewhere else, wherever it is, but you give generously to your local church. And so it's not first and foremost, again, it's, it's not about the amount, it's the heart behind it. And so that's something that you've got to work out with God. That's one of the reasons we don't pass an offering plate. I, I joked with Matt before, and I was like, hey, man, I think we're going to pass a plate today, just for fun, just for giggles. He said, you're fired. <laughs> I was like, no. Um, but no, like you don't ever see anyone at the offering box, and if you do, just don't even tell me. Like nobody's ever at the offering box like taking a selfie, like, like hashtag offering, you know, treasures in heaven. Like that's just not what we do. And so a lot of us are good at giving in a crisis. Like, man, when there's a crisis, like we jump in big time. But God says, no, look, it's, it's regular, consistent, thought out, conviction-driven giving. That's what he is after. That's because the church is God's plan A for the gospel getting out to the world. And so we're thankful for those that give and for those who partner in ministry. And we don't do it perfectly, right? But, but we try. And so we try and we ask for people to give cheerfully and generously. Um, a second way is that we seek to serve those in need. We're aware. Our eyes are open to what's going on around us. Now, that may be through financially supporting uh, someone in another country. You may have a compassion child that you support uh, like we do, or you may support, I know families that have like six, seven compassion children that they support. Um, and that's impressive, right? But, but just for like a, a few trips to Starbucks each month, you can give a kid food and education. I mean, there's, there's treasure being stored up 
in that. You could be sorting items on a Tuesday afternoon at Good Sam, or you could get your family, it's something that we're gonna, I need to think about, like you could get your family and you can make PB&J sandwiches, brown bag lunches, and have those dropped off to be given to those who are hungry. You can do that on a monthly basis. You'll see in the lobby, there's a, a setup for Joy Prom. You can sign up to, to be a friend to our friends on that night, like you, Chris, that's right, baby. And, and you can be a friend to our people. And you can love them well and make that a night that they will not forget. And so I would just say like to anyone who serves in any of our ministries, thank you. Thank you for giving your time and your energy and your skill and some of your sanity. Because you know why? You are creating environments. You are helping create an atmosphere that is grace-filled, that is undistractedly open for people to experience the work of God in their lives. That's what you do. That's what you do when you donate your time, and that's storing up treasures. And so anytime we make these investments with time or money or skills, we are declaring none of these things is my master. None of these things are our masters. We are mastered by the master. This is what was so compelling about the early church community. You read in Acts 2 and Acts 4, they're coming together. They're saying, hey, you've got a need. You've got a need. All right, let's sell houses, land, property, and we will bring it to the church, and we will distribute to those who have a need. So we're, you might want to start a new ministry today. Like, who's jumping in on that? And, and we all kind of go, ugh. Yuck, you don't know the interest rate I've got on my house. It's just too good. And I find ways so easily to say, uh, that's not for today. That was then. They were poor, you know? And so to sum it up, here, here's what we would say. Here's the bottom line. The measure of treasure is not what you store up, but what you give away. The measure of treasure is not what you store up. It's not what you save up. It's not what you retire with. It's not what you leave to your grandkids who are gonna blow it anyways. The measure of treasure is not what you store up, but it's what you give away. And so these are the glasses that Jesus wants us to look through to see all of life as a stewardship. That we are not the master. We are managers. And we've been given this little blip of time in the span of all eternity to store up as much treasure in heaven as possible. To have our eyes open, our hearts open, and our hands open to serve and to love people well and to help support the needs that they have. And so I don't know about you, I would like to meet people for all of eternity who I get to share stories with and who have said, man, you don't even know this, but because of this here, it touched this here, it touched this here, and here's how it got to me. Like, I, I'd love to hear those stories. And I, I want that to last a while. I don't want to get through, like, Saturday in heaven and be like, oh, that's it? Okay. Like, I want it to go on. Like, and I, I think that's the, the desire for all of us, but the reality is, does, does our desire, does it match the way that we live and the way that we see? Because God's going, look, I, here, here's the glasses. I want you to see through eternal lenses the treasures that you can store up by loving people well by serving people well. And so I, for one, am troubled, and I didn't, I'm not joking, I, I've really a lot of conviction these last couple weeks, just about um, several things, but, but one around money, and, in, and some of it is this for me, it's how quickly I'm able to justify and rationalize not living this way. I mean, it's scary how quickly I go there. And, and so, I, but here's what I know. When I get still enough 
And when I get quiet enough for long enough, the reality that comes up in me that's from God and it's out of love is that the reason I don't want to live that way is because Jesus is not my ultimate treasure. It's because the kingdom of God is not where I've planted my roots. There is a part of me that really thinks this is it. And I'm gonna somehow take it with me. And so I wanna offer you just a time just for us to be quiet. We're gonna um, go into communion after this, which is where we celebrate the richness again of God's gift in Christ to bring us life. But we're just gonna quiet ourselves and, and sit with this for a minute and then I'll pray and we'll sing just to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, whatever is in us, we put before you. Lord, we know you are faithful to tell us the truth even when it hurts. Lord, I know I'm learning truths about my life and my walk as a man, as a husband, as a dad, as a money manager. And yet, Lord, you, you do not convict to condemn, but to grow us. And so I pray that, Father, from this, there would be growth. Holy Spirit, we'd open our hearts as much as we would open our, our accounts and our wallets and our dreams and our imaginations to you, to be shaped by you, to think about eternity more, and to let that be our guiding lens through which we see all of this life and all of the richness that you've put before us, Lord. God, even now as we prepare our hearts and just quiet ourselves to, to take the Lord's Supper, to take the, the bread that is the body of Christ, the juice that represents the blood of Christ shed for our sins. God, it's the heart of the gospel. And the heart of the gospel is generosity. It's that we were impoverished and you came to make us rich in you, Jesus. And so we give thanks now. May we respond to you in song, in prayer, in giving, whatever it may be, with grateful hearts, hearts overflowing that have just been so, so impacted by your grace towards us, Lord. And God, we think about singing the name of Jesus forever. Lord, if we don't enjoy it now, we won't enjoy it then. So God, stir in us. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. We pray in Christ's name, amen.